Welcome to the Lifting Lessons at Lunch, hosted by Calvary Baptist Church of Statham, Georgia. My name is Matt Dibler, and I have the great privilege of pastoring Calvary Baptist Church. This podcast can be heard every Monday through Friday at 12 o'clock. And now, here is our speaker for today. Hello, and welcome to today's Lifting Lessons at Lunch. As always, I'd like to take an opportunity to thank you for being here today, for viewing this video, and for taking time to study God's Word with us today. We're going to continue our study of the book of Revelation and the churches that are mentioned in chapters 2 and 3. We've already seen the churches Ephesus and Smyrna, and we've had a challenge and some encouragement from these churches. Today we're going to be looking in verses 12 through 17 of Revelation chapter 2, and we'll be looking at the church of Pergamos. So I'd like for you to read this passage with me, and then we'll talk about a few things out of these few verses and what the Lord has for us um, from the the memory and and the, the record of this church. Verse 12 of chapter 2 in Revelation says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelt. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. So Pergamos was one of the greatest cities in Asia Minor. At this place, it's said that one of the first temples that was dedicated to Caesar was located here in Pergamos. And this may be where the Bible talked about Satan's seat. That may be the reference that we see there. But there are also temples to other gods. As we see in a lot of these churches in Asia, they all had a dedicated temple, or most of them had a dedicated temple to some other little g-god. It just happened to be that the church at Pergamos worshipped the god of healing, and so they had a, a god that was symbolized by a snake on a staff. And it's no mistake that I wore um, my one of my PT garments today, because if you'll notice, right in the center of this thing, we have a staff with a snake wrapped around it. It's the symbol that we see for medicine or medical staff nowadays, but it also can reference back to in biblical times when we look at the um, early days of the children of Israel, when the vipers came and they were biting the children of Israel, what was the what was the sign that they looked to for their healing? It was a staff with a serpent wrapped around it that God had commanded Moses to make. So we see these symbols all throughout our lives and all throughout scripture as well. And this is no different um, in this case. So the believers in this city had surf- suffered a lot of persecution. We see that Antipas is mentioned here in the scriptures as someone who had given his life uh, for the cause of Christ. Um, <clears throat> he was mentioned in verse uh, 13. 
But Christ did have something against this church. And we want to take a look at that today. It's interesting if you read in verse 12 at the end there, uh, Jesus says, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. It's interesting that he described himself like this for this church in particular because we have the mentioning of two different doctrines here. There's the doctrine of Christ, and then we see the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which we're going to get into in a few minutes. And Christ is that sword which divides. Christ is that sword which cuts things that aren't right, that, that knows the good from the bad. So it's interesting that Christ would describe himself in that way in this letter to this church. And I hope you'll keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this study. The story of Balaam is an interesting story. We all know Balaam as the prophet who uh, receives uh, speech from a donkey or, or the donkey spoke to him as he was going in his way. The donkey, the donkey saw um, that he could not go that way because the Lord had placed an angel there to keep him from going and the donkey wouldn't go. And so Balaam talked to the donkey, ended up striking the donkey, and the donkey spoke to Balaam. And that's the thing we remember about Balaam, but we don't often remember all of the other things that happened in Luke or in uh, Numbers chapter 22 for, through 25, we see the story of Balaam and how Balak went to Balaam and wanted him to curse the children of Israel. He wanted them to curse them so that they could not overcome his kingdom because they were growing in numbers and Balak could see that God was blessing the children of Israel in mighty ways. So Balaam was the prophet that was hired by Balak to curse the children of Israel, to help out the Moabites. Instead, Balak or Balaam ended up blessing the children of Israel because that's what God told him to do. It comes down to a, a situation where Balaam was doing what God told him to do, but he helped Balak understand that he could infiltrate in different ways in the children of Israel and cause them to sin against God. And that's the comparison that we see here. They infiltrated and they caused the children of Israel to begin committing fornication and to begin eating things that they shouldn't be eating, the things that were offered to idols. And as a result, God had to judge them. We see that um, God killed 24,000 Israelites with a plague because of their sin, because of the disobedience that had happened, because of the influence of Balaam and of Balak in this story. So we see that in Numbers chapter 22 to 25. You can reference that. We won't go into all that because of time, because of time today, but you can read back through that story and see how um, the, the, uh, the evil infiltrated Israel. We see the same thing here. They began to compromise because they allowed those that were the Nicol described as the Nicolaitans into their presence, into their um, company. And they began to do things like committing fornication and other things that were against God. And God made it very evident here. He made no bones about it. He said, some of you are holding to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the things which I hate, those things which I don't want, those things which I don't want for you, you're giving into. That's what he had against this church at Pergamos. So the message given to the church is you have to repent. You have to stop doing these things. You have to stop letting these influences into your life that are clearly against what God has given you to do, what God has commanded you to do. That's why God is so good at dividing asunder. That's why God is so good at showing us what is right and what is wrong. 
In this case, he's telling this church at Pergamos, look, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans may be uh, very uh, pleasant to the eyes. You know, it may be very pleasant to your flesh, but it's not right. It's not what I've called you to do. It's not what I've asked you to do. So they had to choose whether to go with the easiness of the flesh and of the, the doctrines of the Nicolaitans, which is just do whatever you feel is right. And they had to choose to, instead to go with God. This began with them uh, calling Caesar Lord and, and committing fornication against God in that they went with other uh, beliefs and, and other things like we just mentioned as uh, calling Caesar Lord and other things. So the message was to repent. In verse 17, we see a few things mentioned here. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. And will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name, written which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. What is the manna? The manna we see way back in the early days of the children of Israel. We see God providing them with manna, which it represents the provision from heaven. The provision of God. God saying, look, if you overcome and you don't give in to the ways of these sinful Nicolaitans and all of these other things that you're being tempted to do, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you the things that you need, but you have to overcome. You have to make the decision. The white stone could symbolize a couple of different things, but back in the days, this was uh, an invitation to a wedding or something like that. Or it could be, and I believe that this may be the case, is uh, a, a symbol of uh, a, a vote for someone who was up for conviction of some crime or something like that. And they would use these white stones to vote whether this person was guilty or innocent. And God's saying, look, my vote is going to be for innocence if you overcome. If you, if you go with me and, and you do my will, my vote is going to be for innocence. Now, we know that Christ has forgiven our sins. If we are washed in the blood, if we've trusted him by grace through faith, um, not of ourselves, lest we should boast, then we know that we will be found innocent when we stand before God. But we have to overcome the things that are in our lives. We have to overcome those, those temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all of these things that we're tempted with. We must overcome these things for God's provision, for his uh, vote of, of innocence in our lives. We have to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to overcome. If they overcome, God promised these things for them. He also gives them a name which um, to those who overcome. I, I picture this being like uh, back in scripture where uh, God changed the name of certain people. We think of Jacob as he was uh, a deceiver and, and someone who was thought of as, as dishonest. And he had done so many wrong things early in his life, but yet God gave him a new name. He gave him the new name of Israel and established him as the father of many nations under his father Abraham as, as God kept that promise and established through Abraham and eventually through Jacob and his 12 sons, the nation of Israel. We see him given a new name. What about Saul or Paul as we know him? Saul was a killer of Christians. He was someone who judged people because of their beliefs and he, I'm sure that he felt like he was doing the right thing. Right, He felt like he was doing God's work, but when God got a hold of his life, when he changed his life, when he saved him, he gave him a new name. 
Now he's known as Paul. Now he's an apostle. Now he's going to write all of these books of scripture. He's going to go on these missionary journeys. He's going to do the work of God. He overcame. That should be an influence for us. So my question for you today is, what are you allowing into your life that needs to be taken out? What does God need to divide out of your life? Something that may be bad versus something that may that's good. The church at Pergamos was, was criticized for allowing the enemy in and not keeping themselves separate from an idolatrous culture, an idolatrous uh, belief system of the Nicolaitans and of others. So where's the balance between keeping ourselves separate from the world and yet reaching sinners? How far should we go? The examples that I think of are, are clearly Lot. That's, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Lot gave in to sin, and we see him progressively moving towards uh, the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah until he's eventually living in, in there. He is dwelling with the people, and the, the men of the city even call Lot brethren. That means he was with them. He was part of their company. How far do we go? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not the Father, not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Christ's words in, in John chapter 15, John chapter 17, we can see that he has called us to be in the world, but he's called us to be separate. We're not of the world. Christ in his prayer in chapter 17 says that he's not praying that the Father would remove us from the world, but he would keep us from evil. James chapter 4, the Bible says that a friend of the world is an enemy of God. We have to make a decision now. We have to make a choice now. Just like we did when we talked about the church last week, we have to make a decision now to do right. We have to make a decision now to know what is right. How can we know what is right? God's given us the playbook, hasn't he? He's given us the instruction manual for how to live this life. He's given us the instruction manual for how to divide and know what is right and what is wrong. He's given us his spirit that lives inside of us for those of us who are saved so that we can know what is right and what is wrong. God's given us the tools. He had given this church the tools. Now he's asking us to overcome. I hope that this will be an encouragement for you, but I hope that it'll be a challenge to you. It's challenged my heart this week as I've been looking at this passage, and I hope that you will receive the same blessing that I have. God has given us everything that we need to overcome. We just have to do it. We have to make the conscious effort to study God's word, to pray, to do the things necessary. And then when it's time, when we're called upon to make a decision for evil or for good, we have to make that, that choice for good. We have to make that choice for God and ensure that he has complete control of our lives. I appreciate you stopping by this afternoon. I, I hope that, I know this is a little bit longer than what we've been going, but I really wanted to cover this, this chapter. I, I think that this is so crucial in our day and time because so many churches, so many preachers, so many pastors are compromising. They're giving in to the ways of the world. And I'm so thankful that Calvary Baptist Church is not doing that. 
I'm so thankful for a pastor and for leadership that doesn't give in to the world, that has chosen to be different and to hold to the things that are mentioned in this Bible. Thank you for stopping by. I hope that this is a challenge and an encouragement to you. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. And we'll look forward to seeing you next Friday as we continue in our study of the book of Revelation. Thank you and have a wonderful afternoon.